thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Pull up a rock by the campfire. It's time for that paleo show with your hosts, Sarah Stewart, Steve Hayter, and the man with no shoes, Brett Hill. Welcome to That Paleo Show, making the paleo lifestyle easy and accessible for everyone. I'm Dr. Brett Hill, and as you can probably guess, I'm without my usual co-hosts, Steve and Sarah, today. So we're not going to get the beautiful Sarah introductions, Um, so I'm going to do my absolute best to introduce our guest we've got on today. She is awesome. She's an amazing naturopath. She's a really good friend of mine. She is a woofer, which we're going to tell you about exactly what that means, and she's she's a food enthusiast. So welcome to the show, Katie Payne. Hello everyone, thank you so much for having me. I'm extremely excited to be here and talking about woofing and all that that entails. Alright, so so as I said, Katie is a good friend of mine. We've sort of gotten to know each other over the last probably six months or so, I would say. Um, and I've just been super impressed with Katie's knowledge of all things health and wellness and paleo and naturopathy and it's just amazing. And she's got an amazing journey and an amazing story. So perhaps to start with Katie, you can talk to us a little bit about your own personal journey and what led you towards naturopathy. Yeah, thanks, Brad, and thanks for the very kind words. Um, I guess a lot of our stories as naturopaths are healer, healing by self. Um, so, yeah, was very interested in um, the power of food for personal transformation and pretty much just a glutton by nature. So um, a fairly natural progression to the world of food and health coming from like a communications journalism background, so writing about food and, um, yeah, just eating my way to health, which has been extremely delicious, and as a consequence have become really interested in um, farming and how our food is produced and where it comes from and getting back to basics, and that's what I try and espouse to my clients in clinic and, um, yeah, what I'll be talking about today. So what, what, did you, what sort of journey have you gone through? Like what different food, I guess, uh, paradigms have you tried out? What worked for you? What didn't? And, and what sort of changes have you seen in your own health as you've gone along that journey? Yeah, I think the diet count at the moment is about a billion. <laughs> Just a ballpark figure. Um, everything. I'm a really big self-experimenter. Um, so, yeah, just trying to find this optimal human diet. And I think... What I found is there isn't one, and it's really about you know the seasonal, local, simple, beautiful stuff that we are now getting to grips with, especially with the paleo movement. Um, yeah, but have just seen incredible positive changes in health and mental function and all of those shiny things that people talk about, especially when they go paleo. Yeah, well, I think you're such a good example of that, Katie, because you are always wandering around looking particularly glowing and healthy and, and happy, I've like just my so. Finest exercise gear. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but you've always just got such a massive, massive smile on your face, which I love. That's because I'm well fed. Constantly. <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice. I love that. All right, so let's talk a little bit about your naturopathy before we get into the, the woofing and the farming stuff. So, what are you passionate about in terms of naturopathy? What do you love working with, and what are the, I guess, the the biggest results you see with people in that regard? Yeah, well, I was extremely fortunate to start off working with Anthea Kaluros in Sydney, who I'm sure she's been on that paleo show. She's an incredible, inspirational white witch of naturopathy, um, and she really inspired me in terms of food source and processing. Um, but yeah, naturopathy is so different for everyone um, and for different practitioners, but 
Certainly um, gut health is a biggie because that's kind of the soil of our being. So really focusing in on that for people. But um, I'm really not a fan of diets and labels. And I think a lot of people are really um, kind of bound up in trying to fit into a plan or something. You know, there's too, a lot of too much information out there at the moment. So even just trying to simplify it for people, I'm really big on and women's health and wellness and um, just loving loving food, but using it as a tool for, for vibrant health as well. So Yeah, and I think you're spot on there. Like That is really one of the biggest challenges for people nowadays, isn't it? That there is, you know, it used to be a dearth of information. It was so hard to get the information you needed and it was only a sort of few select sources who had that information and you had to go see that specialist and then you kind of just had to hope that they had it right and just take yeah. it for granted. And nowadays it's the opposite. Nowadays you can get all of the information from every expert everywhere in the world and they've all got their own different idea and their own different story. So trying to figure out which bit of that is going to work for you, I think yeah. that's what the challenge with a practitioner now is, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. Now we're super saturated and there's just, um, yeah, Google is just awash with different diagnoses and it becomes, it's easy to actually give yourself a complex. And so I'd rather just help people relax around food because ultimately, you know, that stress response that we initiate when we think, overthink things and we're so self-analyzing, that's actually super detrimental and it's a chemical thing that happens. And so I'd rather people think less about food and more about, you know, life and having fun, mm -hmm. but, um, but adhere to a template that's not natural for us, you know, a biologically appropriate diet. Yeah. yeah. Well, this is a really interesting topic and it's not what I intended on asking you about today, but that's okay because we'll get to that. But what are some of the biggest mistakes you think or the biggest... Uh, misrepresentations people get from Dr. Google. Like, what do you reckon are the biggest ideas they get wrong when they start Googling and trying to solve their health problems? I think um, it's so individual. You know, there are people who don't think about food at all and encouraging that gentle participation in where we source our food and what we eat is a good thing. So those people may need a little more kind of information and education. But then there are the the... Sherlock's and um, people who are just really searching for a problem, something to diagnose themselves, um, to diagnose themselves with, that is also, um, you know, at the, that's orthorexia, I guess it becomes. Yeah. Um, people looking at blogs, and so blogs are an extremely personal account of one person's journey, mm. and then applying that to themselves and thinking that that must be their problem too. Um, yeah, it's not the whole story on Google and there's a, lot, there's a lot more to it. It's easy to become extremely neurotic. Yeah, mm. yeah, and that's something we're hearing a lot more about, isn't it? This orthorexia idea, and mm. it can be particularly challenging, I think, for people to try and figure out, well, what is eating well and what is orthorexia? Like, where do yeah. you draw the line there? Because it, it does seem that for some people they consider just eating well is orthorexia because their paradigm is so far removed from a healthy, balanced diet that they consider anyone who goes that quote-unquote extreme, which I would just call normal, yeah. is orthorexia, right? Exactly. But then obviously beyond that, there is people who do have this orthorexia and they are overly obsessed with it and they are having issues with it and it is affecting their health. So yeah. how do people draw that line? Yeah, and that's, yeah, you brought up a lot of amazing points. <laughs> and how long you got? You've got a few hours. I know you have to practice and do the thing. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's a really tough one, Brett, and I think it's all about just asking yourself those kind of questions and really yeah. stepping back and assessing your mental state and looking at those patterns of thought and if it is a fixation or if it's a healthy kind of pursuit. Yeah. And I think you mentioned just the way we perceive health as well and how we frame it, and that's, that's the biggest problem, I think. We've just completely forgotten what human food is as opposed yeah. to 
all, you know, 80,000 products in the supermarket, which are just confounding us. They're just red herrings, basically. Yeah. So if we were able to just distinguish, like any other animal, what a human diet was, and it's just this, uh, just have that natural inclination to eat that, we wouldn't have to talk about it and get yeah. so confused and frustrated. So even just, and that's why I love the farming angle, because it's about reconnecting with a human as an animal and what we need to really survive and Let's look at food with an F, not like a PH, this pseudo-food that's out there. <laughs> I love that. And that was one of the things that most excited me the first time I spoke to you. In fact, we just did an interview uh, just last week uh, all about an ebook called Homegrown Paleo, which got me even more excited about it that's all so over again. I know I was sharing some of it with you just the other day, and we were both getting super excited about this idea of being able to go and get hands-on and be growing your own food and involved in the whole process. You know, we talk a lot about this paddock a plate idea but now we're talking about literally paddock to plate right and and so the first conversation I had with you about that I was just so excited and the thing I loved about it and the thing that got me so excited about you as a practitioner was just the integrity that you had around that where you said to me look you know I want to be this I want to be able to share these messages I want to be able to teach people this stuff but I want to do it from a position of integrity I want to have been there done it hands on hands in the ground you know actually know the whole process from the paddock to the plate so that I'm a living, breathing example of that and I can share that with people. And that, to me, was just the coolest conversation, one of the coolest conversations I've ever had. I loved it. <laughs> so tell yes. us tell us about that. Tell us about what made you... First of all, what, made, well, what is woofing and what made you decide to go woofing? <laughs> yeah. Again, um, many, many questions rolled into <laughs> one there. But, um, yes, I think that not to... Not to overemphasize where I'm coming from, I'm genuinely just a really curious person and I love wearing flannelette and I like gardening <laughs> and so wolfing really ticked all those boxes for me and um, it, yeah, love eating so it's just basically you know, getting back to the source of it all. Um, but wolfing stands for Worldwide Organization on Willing Workers. See, I don't even know what it stands for. Basically, you exchange <laughs> your time um, in exchange for food and education, and you work with incredible people around the world on um, woofing is specifically organic farming, but there are many different organisations um, you can or channels you can utilise to connect with people doing incredible things. You know, small scale production, adhering to organic principles. Um, I'd heard about it for yeah a long time, and I think it is a big. Um, people use it on their gap year. It's a great way to travel because you're not paying anything. You're just kind of sometimes engaging in back-breaking labour, but it's for the greater good. Um, yeah, so I was just really intrigued by that concept, even just bartering, you know, that exchange of energy. Um, yeah. yeah, and so, again, Anthea, with whom I worked in Sydney, was this champion of knowing where your food came from. And I yeah. thought, God, you know, I need to do that. I need to go and behead some chickens because I was also an ex-vegan and I yeah. really wanted to reconcile that you know for myself as well philosophically how do we eat an animal um yeah that's the big so just chucked in the ex-vegan bit there so we might need to come back to that (laughs) a bit later as well right so so basically though you were just volunteering your time to go out to these organic farms i think it was in tasmania right in tasmania beautiful tasmania which is such an amazing place and you were just there getting your hands dirty learning about how to farm animals plants, the whole work, The whole shebang. Yeah, it was a long and dirty process and the happiest time of my life. And if anyone is feeling like they need a bit of a, I don't know, sabbatical or just wanting to go and make a difference and 
be really humbled. Um, check out Woofing and um, even Help Exchange on, on Google is a really great channel. But um, yeah, incredible. And, and so you went to multiple different farms while yeah, you were there. So, yeah. so give us, tell us about, you know, let's, let's start. What was the first one you went to? Yep. <laughs> it was a six-month stint. And the first one was a bit of a non-event because I'm actually a mad horse fanatic. And so I just kind of ditched the naturopathic curiosities for the first time and wanted to just go and work on a horse farm because this is the kind of things you can do you can do you know you can paint a lighthouse people have projects it's not necessarily digging up potatoes um so I did go to a a horse ranch and um, stay there and do a bit of that and then um segued into this amazing pig farm which was in the north of Tasmania and this is where um the whole notion that we've really really limited our food choices became apparent so these, this couple, Eliza and Guy, um, farmed heritage breed animals. And so mm. we just think of pigs as pigs, you know, those white yeah. pinky things with the cute little fluffy ears. But um, there's, you know, many, many different breeds and they've all been phased out because of different – they're not conducive to intensive farming, basically. But nutritionally, and you'd be interested in this, Brett, they're completely different animals. You yeah. know, we, we eat the one type of pig now, which is the one that can be intensively farmed, and they're called the, the large white variety. But there's Wessex Saddleback and Berkshire and these giant orange boars. You know, there's this – incredible um, array of breeds out there that I'm, we just I'm kind of on. picturing something from like some sort of Disney movie <laughs> with like weird hair going everywhere and like horns yeah. and that Very kind of stuff right like yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love that the point is you know we've shunned all this this variety and I think that has implications for us obviously as well just in terms yeah. of nutritional variety we've just focused on these one this one specific whether it be a pig or a type of chicken or breed of cow we've really limited our options because we've been, um, we're just addicted to this factory farmed, yeah. intensive, hyper available supply so, chain. So, so let, let's talk a little bit about the differences between that then and the factory farms, right? Because obviously yeah. there's there's lots of do. Obviously, one is the breed of the pigs. Yeah. Uh, you just mentioned there that it's you know I guess not as intensive. Yeah. Uh, what about like the what the way they feed them? You know what they do in terms of uh, managing diseases, all those sort yeah. of things. Exactly. Well, it's again this. This notion of simplicity being that if you have something on a small enough scale that's just feeding a local community, you can farm it in a way that is environmentally friendly and it's in fact regenerative and restorative for the soil. Mm, so it's just, it's only because we, the system that we have with supermarkets supplying, you know, millions of people and us being so disconnected that we start to see arid plains of mm. stuff because we've shoved a billion cattle in one paddock. So, um, yeah, in terms of, the model of farming that I saw in Tassie um, that actually just really worked is limiting how much you can actually produce and just feeding one set of people and not trying to be um, unnamed supermarket multinationals. <laughs> you know, like just having a few pigs in a paddock yeah. and letting them do their thing and knowing that you're never going to be able to earn X amount of dollars by intensifying yeah. the process. And that's the problem because it does come back to money and how do yeah. these farmers actually keep that up. And, yeah. Um, yeah, as consumers, we expect that things are just available year-round, which is just 
you know, this unrealistic expectation which forces nasty things to happen. Yeah. Have you ever read the parable of the Mexican fisherman? No. All right. I'm not going to go into it now, but you should read it afterwards, and it reminds me of exactly what you're talking about. So for the listeners, just Google the parable of the Mexican fisherman, and it's a really cool story about how sometimes we get lost in this idea of having to make everything bigger and better and more commercial and more profitable, but then when you actually look at why, right, maybe it's just about being able to chill out, grow some food, have a bit of a casual time, not be so stressed. Yeah. And ultimately, that's why we want to get rich anyway. <laughs> so it's a really cool thing. Check it out. Yeah, um, so, all right, so we went for the pig farm. Where did we go after the pigs? So the pig farm was first, which was just very intense. Yeah. Um, you know, vaccinating hundreds of little little writhing piglets, which are not cute. They want to kill you when you're yeah. coming at them with a needle. Um, I'm not surprised. <laughs> I don't blame them. Oh, yeah, well, self-preservation <laughs> of that. From there, I went um, – I was staying with – an amazing biologist in Hobart, which again was this different learning experience, um, more intellectual, I guess, yeah. not as hands-on. So um, from there, a small scale. So, what were you doing with the biologist? What was he or she doing, studying, well, learning? Well, I was actually looking after her children. Okay. Not dissimilar <laughs> to farming because yeah. they, yeah. <laughs> but um, so that was, you know, a different arrangement. But in the evenings, I'd get to sit and just pick her brains about, yeah. um ecosystems and how ecosystems work and all of that so that comes into it as well you don't have to necessarily be like rolling around in the hay all the time um from there down past hobart to this incredible self-sufficient family which was just paradise overlooking um the channel and yeah they really um showed i guess they were the ultimate display of what you could do as a self-sustaining family but also they really um it really hit home that we shouldn't romanticise that either. And I know, Brett, I think we're in, the, we're in danger of doing that sometimes. Definitely. Oh, we want a farm and the chickens yeah. and the cow that licks us on the face in the morning. But the reality is it's also damn hard work. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I so mean, so let's, see, let's go into that. So self-sustaining. So yeah. what were they growing on their property? How big was their property? Um, I don't know in hectares. It wasn't very big. It was just on the side of a hill. Yeah. But they had... Um, a cow and her calf, yeah. so milking twice a day yeah. in the frigid Tasmanian conditions. Yeah, it's but, cold down there. Yeah. <laughs> also, on the upside, raw milk ice cream to keep you warm at night. Um, they had pigs, which they'd just cycle through, um, take to the local abattoir and whatnot. They had a harem of beautiful different chickens and guinea fowl and, yeah, poultry, basically. They had an organic flower, not an organic, but a flower farm that was under organic principles. So they'd yeah. sell flowers at Salamanca markets every week. Yeah. And in the winter, they had a heritage apple orchard. Um, and so that was another stream of income for them. So doing lots and lots of different things. But again, this sense of variety. You know, they had 300 different types of heritage apple. And what do we see in the supermarkets? You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was so exciting for me because apples are... Yeah, and so in terms of like, what else did they do in terms of being self-sustaining? Like, were they on the grid for like electricity, water, sewage, yeah. those kind of things? They were, and there's definitely yeah, there are people who are doing generating their own solar power and doing all of that kind of yeah. thing. And I did stay with them. It kind of got more and more intense as the Tasmania adventure adventure yeah, unfolded, yeah. which was probably a good thing for my um, level of you know readiness. Um, so these people were just. Not just, but they had that perfect balance between <laughs> yeah, yeah. the modern lifestyle, but also this extremely wholesome, delicious, colourful and aesthetically beautiful yeah. lifestyle, working really hard. But then, yeah, the, the last place I went to stay was a permaculture project, which was just, I saw that as the ultimate two couples who were just, um, they'd put everything together, their funds to buy this property. Their mission was not to make money, just to regenerate 
this land that they had and then they sold the produce um, at, at the markets. But, yeah. yeah, that was next level. We had to... Um, do our bathroom bits on a solo bin, which was then wow. put into a reed bed and composted and went all back into the cycle and they had mobile chickens and that was permaculture paradise, basically. Wow. All right. And so was there anything they still had to buy from the shop or was like everything they made themselves, grew um, themselves? They, they did a lot of things differently. Certainly they were relying on other people, you know, beans and grains and things that just yeah. wouldn't be seasonal or, you know... Um, able to be procured in their area. but Yeah. And, and for those things, did yeah. they buy them or barter them? They did a lot of bartering, and that's yeah. a big culture in Tassie, which is so amazing and beautiful as well. But yeah, really, um, so, you know, it, filling the, the sink with one lot of water a day and doing your dishes and not flushing the, t- the dunny, like, yeah. ever. So, you know, <laughs> just averting your eyes. And um, little things like that, just trying to be super, super sustainable, only charging your computer when absolutely necessary. Like, yeah. Yeah, they were next level. So as you went through this process, like, what were the things that challenged you most when you were going on this adventure? <laughs> very, very good question. I think, first of all, um, just, I call it princessery, you know, the princessery <laughs> of being a modern gal. Well, and you're not so not to... a princess, though, <laughs> seriously. Not anymore, not anymore, perhaps. But um, even just, just the little creature comforts that we all um, really revel in, just losing those and sleeping in a tent half the time and, yeah, not being able to look at yourself in a mirror for five months, which is extremely therapeutic, do that. I recommend that to <laughs> other people. Um, those little things, being extremely cold, being extremely hot, being extremely sweaty and stinky and just losing inhibitions in that sense. Yeah. Um, but then I guess on a, a bigger level, um, a deeper level, challenging the, the idea of success, you know, we, yeah. in the city, we've got a certain conception of success and wealth, which we just kind of spoke about. Yeah. And then we've got people who are just doing extraordinary, humble they're doing a service, basically, providing people with incredible yeah. food and they don't need to tell people about it, they don't need to write a blog about it. And I, that really challenged me because I had this idea that these people should be famous or, yeah. you know, getting the word out there or really, really um, appreciated for what they're doing, but they're just doing their thing. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it made me realise, wow, you know, there's so much beyond what we see and what we're engaged yeah. in and... Isn't that amazing? It is such a thing, isn't it, that we want to just, you know, just share it with the whole world yeah. and share it with everyone. But, but sometimes the best way to do that is just to, to be an example. Yeah. It's just to do it yeah. and let other people see what happens when you do it. Yeah, exactly. It was really, really humbling in that way and challenged, yeah, I think what I conceived as success or what needs yeah. to happen in someone's life. Yeah. Like is, it, is it just as valuable to restore one plot of soil or, mm. you know, in, in a lifetime? Yeah. Really? How cool is that? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, so what did you learn on this journey that you've carried with you? What, what are the things that you've now implemented into your daily life and that perhaps some of our listeners can implement into their daily lives as well? Yeah. Um, well, I guess I already had that, the belief before that we should be really only buying good ethical food because yeah. it, it really does matter. But seeing it firsthand, um, I just can't ever buy especially pork like pig products that mm. aren't farmed um in a kind of sustainable sense or a caring sense because pigs are so human it's just mm-hmm. incredible the amount that they feel so yeah just i'd really encourage everyone to buy to buy local things and to buy especially meats you know um small scale stuff and knowing your farm and really chatting to them about their philosophy and principles and making sure that that's legit and it stacks up yeah. because that 
not only nutritionally and for our own selfish health reasons, yeah. but just in an environmental sense and for, for the good of the animals, for the creatures. So right. if yeah. I'm going out to my butcher or my pig yeah. farmer or whatever it may be, what questions should I be asking him I think or her? Th- Yes. <laughs> One of the first ones is, um, do you have open days? Are you, are you um, receptive to visitors and when can I come? Because that is probably the biggest indication of how they're running things. They can spin you whatever tale, really. Yeah. But if you go there and see it and check out, do their fields look like they're growing stuff or are they a bit downtrodden and dusty or, you know, what does it look like and what's the vibe you're getting Um yeah, just asking them if you can come and visit. I that is such really... a cool question. I'm actually yeah. so excited about that. I literally just got goosebumps. I'm <laughs> going to pack up my kids, I'm going to contact the farmer, and I'm going to go <laughs> for a visit. That's it's, so cool. Once you have the image in your head, it's just that's irrefutable and it's yeah. the best evidence. That's going to be so much hmm. fun. The kids are going to love that. Yeah. Good one, Katie. So All right, what else? that, and also, um, I guess if you're new to a place, asking the recommendations. People like yourself, Brett, you've got a list of suppliers who you know and you know that yeah. they're accredited and good and doing all that. So just word of mouth stuff. Yeah. Um, really seeking out the best of the best. Um, and, and I find often the uh, the Facebook groups are really good for yeah, that. You know, like yeah. the, in Adelaide, we've got like the Paleo Life Group and you can go on there and ask, you know, fellow Adelaideans and you say, hey, where do you guys go to get your beef? And they'll yeah. all put their recommendations and then, you know, someone will say, well, actually, no, that guy's not that good because he does X, Y, Z or this guy's even better because he does, you know, yeah. A yeah. and B. And, and that's really cool, exactly. I reckon. Yeah, and I think that's one of the most important things, just um, – Really, really caring about where your food is coming from, not giving yourself a complex about it. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, sticking to your guns and knowing that your money is also going in supporting people who are doing the right thing. Because, if I mean, if you shop at Coles or Woolies or places like that, basically like 18 cents of your dollar is going mm. back to the grower, which is so diabolical. It's crazy, isn't it? It's, yeah. So fund the right people, ask the right questions, enjoy what you've got. And also I think another big thing, especially for me, um, going to Tassie really showed that um, this seasonal thing, you know, we bandied that word about so much, eat seasonally, eat locally, what does that really mean and yeah. why? It means, I think, getting back in touch with that really lovely cycle of the seasons but mm. being okay with not not having things on occasion yeah. or big occasions, you know, long stretches of time where you might be really craving some berries but, you know, you're not going to have them until yeah. summer. It's kind and of tropical other, at the moment, isn't it? Other, yeah, berries, frozen berries, yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so really doing, really engaging with that instead of just thinking about it. Cool. All right. So I've only got a few minutes left, Katie. This has wow, been awesome. I'm loving this. What is next for you? Where are you going from here? Wow. What's your next adventure going to be? <laughs> well, just before this interview, I was looking at Help Exchange and Wolf and just getting really excited about the opportunities. Um, like I said, yeah, maybe just doing some local stuff because you don't have yeah. to necessarily go outside the country. You can go and do weekend trips. Um, so I'm, yeah, thinking about getting in touch with a lot of our local South Australian producers and helping them really nice. communicate to everyone and get the word out there. And because uh, it's also exciting and. Yeah. Well, just just so you know, yeah, since I interviewed last week with yeah. Homegrown Paleo, I have been Googling places in the Adelaide Hills to, you know, you possibly just move yeah. up there. So if you want to help someone, I might need some help. You know, that'd be awesome. I'm good at tilling and backhoeing. <laughs> awesome. So before we finish up, I really want to touch on the vegan thing because yeah. you mentioned that. Yeah, and I thought that's fascinating. So Because it does seem like there are so many people in the paleo world who started out as vegan. Yeah. And I find that fascinating. Yeah. Um, so what made you go vegan in the first place? 
again, because I think because we care and people in the yeah. paleo community, it's this sense of um, wanting to do the right thing yeah. and having that ethical inclination to not not kill living living creatures and yeah. you know, or well, at least not kill them unnecessarily. Exactly, perhaps. because <laughs> of this, yeah, we actually inadvertently kill lots of them when we eat soy and grains and all of that kind of thing. Anyway, yeah. Um, so yes going vegan because I was trying to get my health on track yeah. because I was trying to fulfill those philosophical kind of ideals. But, um, ultimately for, for myself and I think for a lot of other people, it's not, not the most nourishing diet. And yeah. So, I had to kind of so, so what were the signs of that for you? Oh, just, um, not being able to peel myself off the couch was a pretty big one. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. yeah, just total. So energy was big. Yeah. Yeah. Lack of energy, lack yeah. of enthusiasm. That's almost impossible skin. to imagine. No, I you know, with a lack right? of energy. Yeah. <laughs> Me on some kind of sedative was the vegan diet. Wow. Yeah. All right. And so what was it like when you made the transition? Like when you went, okay, I'm not going to be vegan anymore. Yeah. Did you go from that straight to paleo or I was it I, like I a... ate a delicious pork chop. Yeah. And um, yeah, no, no turning back. No turning but back. And so was there any like resistance there? Was it like, so oh my God, much. pork chop? Yeah, I was devastated. It's, it's yeah. an identity shift. And I think I see a lot of clients who are coming off the a vegetarian diet or vegan diet or thinking about it and it's just it's heartbreaking you yeah. invested so much love and passion and probably you know lectures to your friends and everything yeah. in this um so it's a massive philosophical shift and and i know when passion. rob wolf made that change mm-hmm. he said it was literally like the first piece of meat he ate he felt better yeah was that kind of the case with you no and i think <laughs> that's amazing but yeah. people also become discouraged when they yeah think, i am going to feel so much better when i go and eat a big steak yeah but it does take time you know your digestive it doesn't surprise me at all really <laughs> under functioning and so don't don't go and do that and maybe expect to feel Rob Wolf like yeah, that yeah. can happen, but um, give yourself a chance and it doesn't have to be steak and chips at the pub. You can do gen- more gentle things. So uh, I love that. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you said that. Cause I think probably a lot of people do think that and it, it doesn't make a lot of sense when you, extreme. yeah, it yeah. takes time for your body to heal exactly. and to change and all that sort of yeah. stuff. So Katie, this has been awesome. Yeah, Thank you likewise. so much for joining me today. It's been me. my first, uh, my first solo interview <laughs> on that paleo show. So thanks for making yeah. it so easy and for guiding me through as well. Um, hopefully you guys have all enjoyed this uh, episode. So make sure you check out Woofing. Um, make sure you check out Katie Payne. She's in Adelaide. She's an awesome naturopath. And you can find her... katiepayne.com. There you go, at katiepayne.com. claritywellness.com.au. There you go. Um, so until next week, um, make sure you check us out on Facebook. Make sure you, you jump in and join in the conversation there. Check us out on iTunes. Give us a five-star rating. Um, and until next week, take care of yourself. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.